This is the We Spin Recipes podcast with Andrew Apanov. Hello everyone, Andrew Apanov here with a new edition of the We Spin Recipes podcast. And uh, today I've got an amazing guest on the show, Nick Sabine, a co-founder of uh, Resident Advisor. I'm sure most of you have heard of it. It's a global dance music uh, community and, uh, and a magazine that has been around for uh, 13 years and is read by over 2.3 million users each month now. Uh, the company has offices uh, in Berlin, Ibiza, in Tokyo, besides the London uh, headquarters. And uh, there's been a lot of great stuff uh, going on inside Resident Advisor, something that we are going to talk about today. But first of all, hello, Nick. Hi, Andrew. Thanks for having me. It's, it's a real pleasure. And uh, do you mind if I uh, start by asking uh, what Resident Advisor is compared to what it was when you just started the website? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's actually um, striking to, um, to when we did start in the sense that you know, the only reason we started Resident Advisor was just as a hobby, um, really just to write about music that we loved. We just wanted a, a place on the internet where we could, as I said, just talk passionately about music that we we're into and music that excited us. And to be honest with you, that's very much still the same premise that we run the website with today. Um, it's obviously it's grown a lot, and you know the services that we offer the industry and the and our global community have evolved in that time. But it's you know that same premise remains. You know we only write about stuff that really excites us and interests us, and that we think deserves wider recognition. And and that's kind of what we set out to do in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it's grown. You know the business side of it's definitely grown, and you know that's needed to happen to allow us to grow to, to the place that we are today, and to allow us to cover the the scene at the level of depth that we do. Um, but in terms of our overall vision, um, it's you know it's kind of fairly similar to, to when we started. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's great to hear. And a uh, couple comments on the states of the dance and music industry and the electronic music industry, because when you were just starting out, it was. Uh, it was always huge in the UK, but not uh, such a global trend as uh, it is right now. Yeah, sure. I mean, we actually started the website in Sydney, Australia, where you know it definitely wasn't particularly popular there in terms of general appeal. Um, but it was something that that we were really into, um, the three of us that launched that launched the site. Um, so it's actually. You know, it's it's in a very different place now than than it was back then, but especially so as a result of us being in Sydney. I think if you were in London 13 years ago, it would obviously be different, but not to the same extent as it is for now for us. Um, you know, back back then we kind of had to put up with a situation where you'd get maybe one artist a month that you'd be really interested in seeing um, come through uh, Sydney, and you'd get excited for that and you'd go and see that. But a lot more of your kind of musical discovery at that age was was generated by local artists, and you'd look at you know, you'd go and hear local DJs play that um, were kind of providing your musical education as a teenager more so than, than internationals. And now, um, obviously, it's become much more of a global industry. Um, there's a lot more money to be made from um, a lot more sources in terms of, you know, especially events and merchandising yeah. and, and things like that. So that's obviously had an effect on the scene and, you know, resulted in different things springing up and some of the bigger, you know, the bigger festival culture that you see at the moment, um, which, you know, is certainly something that, you know, a decade ago wouldn't have been sustainable, but now we're in a situation where you can have, you know, a different festival every week in America, for example, for 150,000 people. Um, And, you know, they're all sold out and they're all busy. And, you know, that's definitely something that 10 years ago wouldn't have um, seemed possible, but, you know, that's still a slightly different 
world to us. You know, we don't really cover um, a lot of that stuff, but it's certainly something that will, um, in time, I think, have a fairly profound effect on our industry. As a lot of as a lot of the kids who are enjoying that, yeah, at the moment, um, look a little bit deeper. And such such is the scale of of people now, you know, embracing EDM culture. Yeah. Um, that I think even if only kind of five or ten percent of them in time decide to um, scratch the surface a little bit and discover our industry and our world, I think it could have a you know, a pretty significant effect on, on our industry, certainly bringing, you know, some excited new, new fans to, to our world and also just, uh, just an influx of new people on, on quite a significant scale. Yeah, yeah. Exciting times. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, and I'm eager to uh, go deeper into the uh, the latest features and uh, the things that you mentioned about the services for music industry. But uh, for those of uh, the listeners who, for some weird reason, uh, haven't been following Resident Advisor, uh, so at the beginning of this conversation, I mentioned that it's a global community and a magazine. But can you uh, mention some of the key features of the platform and uh, particularly about the community parts, what uh, essentially means? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's um, it's essentially it's a community platform slash magazine um, with a very focused editorial approach. Where so we critique the scene, we you know feature in- interviews with artists, we publish news on the global electronic music industry, um, as well as a lot of localized content. Um, and then alongside that, we've got. Uh, a listings database, a venues database, a promoters database that can be used by different people in the industry for different things. So, for example, if you're a promoter in Oslo and you want to have home for your event on the internet, you can use RA as a, as a listing platform for that, um, which then, you know, which then populates across the world. So we've got a number of event listings for you know all, all major cities around the world for electronic music events, and that's a very useful resource for people that are interested in this culture um, mm-hmm. and interested in understanding what events. Uh, might be on in those places. So there's the listing side of things, there's the editorial side of things. There's also a ticketing system which we built um, to integrate with the event listings because we had such a significant audience of people that were already looking at the listings to plan their weekends. It mm-hmm. made sense that we provided an easy solution for them to be able to buy tickets to the events that they wanted to go to. Um, so that's something that, that we've built. Um, we've also got an event side of the business that um, you know we do about 50 to 60 events a year and that differs from you know singular club shows um, for you know, five hundred or a thousand people, through to you know, booking big festival stages for twenty thousand people, um, awesome. and they t- they tend to happen all around the world. So there's a number of different aspects of of, of the business, um, and people use the site in different ways. Yeah, are there any highlights in terms of the music styles of uh, dance music? No, we're pretty all we're pretty all encompassing actually. I mean, we've got an, a full time editorial team of eight people, so and they all have different tastes in music, and it's um. Yeah, it, it's pretty broad, you know, it's, it's, it's electronic music, but I think that, that definition gets broader nowadays. So uh, the music that we cover is, um, you know, is justifiably broad. Yeah, this is really exciting. And I know that you've been doing a lot of interesting things uh, on the website uh, this year. So early this year, if I'm not mistaken, there was a pretty big redesign. Is it correct? Yeah, we relaunched the site at the beginning of this year. Uh, so that was a two-year development process where we literally went right back to the beginning and wrote the first line of code again. Um, just to kind of, I guess we've learned a lot in 13 years of running the website. 
um, and really you know, better understanding how people use the site, the content that interests them the, the most, how we can better showcase that content, how we can make it easier to find for people to find the things that um, we know that they want to find or need to find, um, and looking a lot of a lot of kind of user behaviour and user pathways and using that to inform the the redesign as well as just giving a you know, a fresh look to the side, making the side more responsive for mobile, which is obviously important nowadays. Um, and then also doing a rebrand in terms of actually updating the logo, which is something that we wanted to do for a little while. And it felt like the most opportune time to do that. Yeah, yeah, got it. A a any interesting insights in terms of the user behavior, something that you did didn't expect probably several years back, but you realize that uh, the, the user base is more into a particular theme or feature of the website? I mean... Having you know, not having not done something like this before, it was never we didn't ever really had any preconceptions in terms of user behaviours. So um, it was you know we just kind of looked at the data and looked at what people were um, I guess enjoying the most on the site. Um, I guess one of the most um, pleasing things is since we've um, launched the new site, there's you know more people. Um, are on the site and more people are spending longer reading the content that we want them to read on the site. So, mm -hmm. you know, more people are, uh, are reading features, more people are reading news, uh, more people are reading the reviews, um, and they're spending longer on those pages, um, which is pleasing because we've spent a lot of time tweaking the design of those to make them more visually appealing. Um, also building like uh, building the features page to allow us to customize those pages at a certain level of depth and change things like background color and text color and do some interesting stuff with imagery to make it feel more like a I guess a published magazine, if you like, to kind mm -hmm, of, um, mm -hmm. you know, imagery is very important in all of our features, as well as the editorial. And um, the redesign allowed us to do more with imagery to make the those specific pages and those specific features look more striking and, and hopefully have more impact and, um, and hopefully be a, a more enjoyable part of the site. Yeah, and and it looks and reads really great. And something something else that I just remembered that you also have a, a, a fully translated Japanese version of the website, correct? Yeah, that that's correct. So we've got a the only full translated version of the site that we have um, is a Japanese version of the site. Um, we've got a team of four people out there that uh, work on managing that. Obviously, with close consultation with our European team. Um, and that's read, that's read by about 100,000 readers a month in Japan. So generally there is a, a big scene, I can imagine? Um, yeah, it's definitely, um, it's definitely facing some difficulties at the moment, um, you know, as, as Japan is as, as a whole. Um, so it's a really interesting time for that scene, but there's a, you know, there's a real incredible depth of talent there, um, artist-wise. Um, that mm -hmm. having a site there and having people there allows us to showcase on a more global scale as well. So hopefully by having the site there, we can um, help increase the visibility of some really talented Japanese artists outside of Japan as well. Got it, got it. Yeah, that's that's an interesting direction for sure. Okay, so going back to the, uh, to the thing that uh, we also mentioned quickly at the beginning uh, about the new ticketing solution that you've got, Basically, you've introduced a fan-to-fan -fan ticket exchange system, which is uh, pretty innovative, and uh, uh, it uh, responds to the recent changes uh, in the uh, in the UK, in particular, in terms of the secondary ticketing market. So, can you comment on the on just maybe the state of uh, ticketing in the world right now, because uh, the issues that are out there may not be familiar to some of the listeners, and then comment on the on the solution that you've created. Sure. I mean, I think in the way that the electronic dance music industry has evolved, 
Um, so has the strain that it puts on the ticketing aspect of this industry. I think now there's a lot more events that are uh, more desirable than they were for a larger group of people, so more events are sold out. Um, and a sold-out event creates a unique circumstance where there's, pe there's people that have had nothing to do with the event that can potentially profit from an event um, through fraudulent ticket sales or through just selling an original ticket for a greater price because they know that um, there's certain fans that will pay whatever to ensure that they're at that show. And that's something that we didn't feel was particularly fair um, for the promoters um, or certainly the customers who were for, who were buying those tickets, often not knowing if they were legitimate tickets, if they were fake tickets, if the same ticket was being sold 20 times so only the person that got to the event first would be able to access the event. Um, there's all these things that create quite... Uh, I have quite a negative impact on on our industry um, as a result of you know a promoter's hard work to create a desirable event. So uh, we wanted to build something that um, could eradicate that and could provide a secure service to the industry that meant that if someone legitimately couldn't go to the event, you know maybe they forgot they had a friend's birthday that weekend or they've got travel plans that have just come up or anything like that, um, and they genuinely can't go to the event then they can submit the, their ticket that they've bought to the resale queue. And if that event is sold out, that will then appear as an available ticket. And then someone who wishes to go to that event can actually then purchase that ticket and the person gets their, um, the original ticket holder gets their money back. Um, and the new ticket buyer now has a legitimate ticket that they know is 100% legitimate. Uh, that they can actually go to the event with that without any concern and they've paid a fair price for that ticket. And I think, you know, the industry as it is and, and people that are, they don't necessarily most for the most people for the most part don't necessarily want to profit profit from uh, their, the ticket that they bought originally. They just want their money back because they can no longer go. So, um, and obviously, we want to try and create a system whereby people can actually uh, who do actually want to go to the event now have an opportunity to do so based on those uh, refunded tickets. And and how how popular has uh, the new feature been so far? It's um it's actually been really. Um, really really popular we uh, obviously hoped that it would but it was an idea that we came up with um and we weren't sure how um how popular it would be um but it's actually been really really popular within you know within a week of launching we're reselling hundreds and hundreds of tickets um and often tickets um being listed um as available and then selling in under three minutes for a number mm. of events so um the community is definitely understanding how the system works and utilizing it and um, the feedback that we've got from both promoters and the community has been really positive. Excellent. Yeah, that, that sounds great. And it, it sounds like something that could be applied to many uh, scenes and markets and, uh, and, and, and genres of music, let's say. Have you seen interest from other similar businesses and other genres? Yeah, I think um, the, the big difference is that the other ticketing companies um, quite often have commercial interest in secondary ticketing companies. Um, and those secondary ticketing companies can potentially be quite lucrative. So, for example, um, you know, a, a Ticketmaster, for example, uh, has a you know commercial stake in a secondary ticketing company. So, should the tickets sell for a higher price, um, or should Ticketmaster sell the primaries originally, and then those tickets are then resold for a higher price on a secondary outlet, then that's actually beneficial for Ticketmaster. So, Ticketmaster aren't incentivized to provide a fan-to-fan -fan exchange that uh, sells tickets for the same price. You know, we've built it to eliminate touting and to provide a secure way for music lovers to buy unwanted tickets to sold-out events, basically. Yeah. And the the other ticketing agencies aren't necessarily um, motivated to do the same thing because of other commercial interests. 
Yeah, it perfectly makes sense. Although I hope that the same kind of trends uh, in solving the, the the problem will be applied by other companies as well. well I, but I think it's, I think it's really important because the the UK government actually uh, produced a paper on the secondary ticket market, um, and it highlighted a lot of the issues. Um, but then the final kind of statement as part of that paper and the final decision decision at upper levels of government um, was that the industry needs to self-regulate itself. The government aren't going to get involved. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a first step in that. Um, you know, we believe this is a service that benefits the promoters, it benefits the consumers and it eradicates touting because, you know, why would you ever buy a ticket just by wiring someone the money to PayPal in the hope that they send you a scan of a ticket that's legitimate when you can uh, say to that person, if they legitimately want to sell their ticket, then sell it through the RA resale service and then you know it's legitimate and you're buying it at a fair price. Um, so this is a step in kind of industry self-regulation. Excellent. Got you. Uh, so can you mention anything that uh, you can reveal at this point, of course, in terms of the upcoming plans uh, for the platform? Yeah, sure. I mean, we just inherently want to keep doing what we're doing, um, you know, keep better covering the scene, um, improving the services that we offer. Um, for different aspects of the community, um, you know, providing a platform to showcase artists and music that we really believe in, um, and that's the overarching premise to how we run the site, um, and that and that will continue. So, essentially, it's just um, becoming better at, at at the service that we provide and um, co- constantly evolving and improving and taking advantage of, I guess, taking advantage of technology and looking at interesting ways that we can utilize that on the site to enhance the service that we that we offer. Awesome, yeah. And before we finish, if if you don't mind getting a little bit of track and uh, speaking from uh, uh, maybe giving a bit of an advice for an artist, you you, you mentioned uh, when when we just uh, started the talk that when when you were launching the website, uh, there were a few artists who you could feature, and right now there is an enormous amount of artists. Obviously, the interest is high in in Resident Advisor, but at the same time, I I'm, I'm sure you will agree that the amount of artists out there is is increasing. Uh, have you uh, noticed a pattern in success stories of artists and uh, can give an advice on how to differentiate yourself as a musician in, in the scene right now? Yeah, make, make great music. <laughs> uh, that's, that's the biggest differentiating flavor. If you notice, the, um, and it's not necessarily genre specific, but um, you know, if you make great records, um, you will you will get noticed. You know, yeah, the, it's a good one. The, the culture has changed a lot in terms of you know there's less people just DJing. Um, I think it's harder to make it as just a DJ. You've got people like you know people like Ben UFO uh, who have done um, you know done exceptionally well. You know just just being DJs and you know he's an exceptional kind of music selector and, and deserves all the success that's come his way. Um, but the majority of artists are you know producing great music. And then that music's getting picked up, and then they're getting booked off the back of that. Um, and you'll notice that the artists that slip out of the limelight are the artists that, um, you know, aren't necessarily producing music anymore or whatever. And then um, their visibility within the scene increases once again once they release an album or, or what have you. So it's really just about, um, you know, make, making great music. Or if you if you are a DJ um, and, on, and only a DJ, then just You know, it, it sounds obvious, but um, just crafting um, your your art form and, and providing something unique and playing music that you genuinely believe in and that excites you because people can feel that as well. 
Excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much for the insights and all the information. And uh, I hope to have you on the show sometime again in the future. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. And thanks for your interest in RA. You have been listening to the We Spin Recipes podcast. Learn how we can help you improve your music career at wespin12.com. We spin